following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So good. Throughout our 60-year history at Irving Bible Church, we've been passionately committed to a global vision. Passionately committed to partnering with God in his work of bringing restoration, bringing redemption, bringing transformation around the globe. And we always have been and always will be passionately committed to that precisely because we believe that God is passionately committed to that. And my task today is is to take you through the story of the Bible and convince you of that truth. This morning, we're going to do a little tour of biblical theology. This tour is going to have have seven stops along the way. Seven seem like a good biblical number. But I'm going to take you through seven stops along the way from Genesis to Revelation to show you God's heart for the nations. We are in the fourth and final week of a sermon series called For the Sake of the World that uh, we have kind of taken the, the, the framework for this series from Jesus' words to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, the last words that Luke records in the book of Acts of Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the first week, we talked about God's call on each of our lives to live as um, missionary disciples, to live on mission wherever we are, wherever our feet take us, that that in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, um, in the places where we engage with others in the surrounding community, that, that that is an opportunity for us to live our ordinary, everyday lives with a kind of missional intentionality. Jerusalem, Judea, recognizing that God has called us to move toward the broken places and the hurting people in the city around us. And then Samaria, last week we talked about the idea that for them, Samaria wasn't just a geographical expansion, but was also calling them to go to the other, to the the outsiders. And we recognize the reality that that, um, loving them is part of what constitutes the essence of being us. This week, we look then at that fourth movement from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. At the beginning of this year, we said at at Irving Bible Church this year, we want to go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper into the story of the Bible. We started with a series that kind of introduced the big story, and then the rest of the year has kind of taken that as its framework. And we talked then about the idea that, that the Bible tells one cohesive story that follows kind of that traditional plot line. It begins with an introduction that establishes for us the setting and the characters. That there is, like all good stories, a conflict that's introduced to the story in Genesis chapter three, the conflict of sin. We get the the rising action in the story of Israel, the unfolding of the consequences of that conflict until ultimately we come to the climax, the climax of the biblical story and the person and work of Jesus. Then from there, we get the descending action, the unfolding of the consequences of the climax until ultimately we reach the denouement, the the resolution of the story in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And this morning, I wanna take you on a tour of the whole story and show you that God's passion for the nations is 
the biblical story. That the whole story of the Bible is the story of God's rescue mission to rescue and renew his good but broken creation and to redeem from himself one new humanity of people from every tribe, nation, people, and language. And to begin, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12 is our first stop on this tour of biblical theology. If you've got a paper Bible with you, get ready, because we're going to be turning some pages this morning. But we're going to start in this all-important chapter, Genesis chapter 12. After sin enters the story in Genesis 3, what we have in Genesis 3 through 11 is this... uh, Downward spiral of sin, just the recognition that the, the conflict just continues to get worse and worse and worse. And as readers, that we're meant to go, what, what's God going to do about this? And we recognize then that the redemptive plan of God is introduced in Genesis chapter 12, as God calls a man, Abram, and his wife, Sarah, um, Abram, who will later have his name changed to Abraham, God calls this man and his wife and makes them the special objects of his affection and blessing. And those who would come after them in their progeny, the the nation of Israel that comes after them, God makes them the special objects of his affection and blessing for the sake of the nations. The redemptive plan of God from the very beginning is for the nations. Look with me, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's purpose in calling Abraham and choosing Abraham to be the special objects of his affection and blessing wasn't just for Abraham, wasn't just for Israel. From the very beginning, the plan was to bless all peoples, all nations. The the language that's used here is language that's just used throughout the Bible to refer to every ethnicity, every nation, every people group. And God says, my plan is to enlist you and your family in my rescue mission for the sake of the nations. God's redemptive plan from the very beginning is for the sake of the nations. Now that's the first stop on our tour, but flip with me from there to kind of the middle of your Bible to Psalm chapter 67. Psalm 67. The redemptive plan of God is for the sake of the nations, the vocation of the people of Israel. It's for the sake of the nations. You see this beautifully on display in Psalm 67. In this psalm, what we have in the the whole psalm book is like the hymn book for the people of Israel. I don't know how many of you grew up like I did in a church where we didn't have the words up on a screen. We had a book that we pulled out of the little rack from the pew in front of us, right? You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, And there were just some of those hymns that you just sang over and over and over again so that you knew when you heard that number called out, you could like just close the book and put it back in the rack. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't remember which one it was, but I just remember 187 was the one it felt like they were always called. 187, you could just close the book and put it back in the rack when that one came up, right? Some of you, you had that response when we started singing, holy, holy, holy. You could just close your eyes and sing and, and you didn't have to look at the words at all, right? You may have noticed that we didn't sing the, the glassy sea verse, right? I don't know what Elwell has against cherubim and seraphim, but, uh, um, right? but some of you, some of you, you knew every word of that song because it's just gotten down inside of you shapes your heart, your mind, your imagination. Um, 
And, uh, and that's what the Psalms were supposed to be for the people of Israel. So Psalm 67 was meant to shape their hearts, their minds, their imaginations, to shape their understanding of who they were in the world. Listen to what, God, listen to what they say in, in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Isn't that a great prayer? God, be gracious to us. We love God's grace. Bless us. We love God's blessing. Make your face shine on us. These are the kind of prayers we love to pray. God, we want our best life now, right? And yet, we have to be really careful that this, there's nothing wrong with asking for the blessing of God, but the blessing of God was never just for themselves, If you've been around very long at all, you've heard me talk about two little words that whenever these two little words show up in a passage of scripture, you have to pay attention, right? You see those two little words, you underline them, you circle them, you pay attention to them, right? You know what those two little words are? So that, right? I always tell you, pay attention when you see so that because what comes next is the point. It's the payoff, it's the punchline. And that's what we have here. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The vocation of the people of Israel, the the special objects of God's affection and blessing weren't just for themselves. There was nothing particularly special about the people of Israel. In fact, we've studied their story enough to know Right? They're a mess. The people who are supposed to be part of the solution prove themselves time and time again to continue to be part of the problem. But they prayed, God, bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Not for us, but so that the world may know. Right? For the sake of your salvation being known among the nations. The, the psalm goes on. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples Praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth will fear him. The redemptive plan of God from the very beginning It's for the sake of the nations. The vocation of Israel. It's for the sake of the nations. Third stop on our tour, the vocation of Jesus. The purpose for his incarnation, for for his life, for his ministry was for the sake of the nations. Flip all the way over with me to the New Testament, to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. In Luke two, we're... uh, it's the story of when Jesus was a baby and Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple to have him dedicated. And they bring baby Jesus to the temple and there's a man waiting there named Simeon. Simeon is an old man, we're told. And he's waited his whole life hoping to see God's anointed liberating king, Israel's Messiah. And God has given him a sense of reassurance that, that he will not die until his eyes see Messiah. And yet he's waited And he's waited, he's waited. I can't help but think that he's begun to wonder, is it really gonna happen? Did I I really hear God rightly? He's begun to wonder, maybe he's gonna die. 
and not see the Messiah. And, and then one day, in a way that I have to imagine for him was completely unexpected, that he looked up and he saw a tiny peasant baby in the arms of his mother. And he just knew. And we pick up the story in Luke 2, verse 28. Simeon took him, that is Jesus, into his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The, 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 the purpose for which Jesus is born into the world is to be a revelation to the Gentiles. Now, this word Gentiles, the Greek word there is ethnos. What you find is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is goi, and then in the New Testament, the, the Greek word is ethnos. Both of them refer to ethnicity, to the nations. And sometimes that word ethnos gets translated Gentiles. It's any ethnicity, any nation other than people from the nation of Israel. Tragically, despite their calling, right, despite the reality that the vocation of Israel is for the sake of the nations, they had really come to take pride in their sense of being God's special objects of affection and blessing. And they had hoarded that to themselves. But here Simeon says, Jesus is born into the world to be a revelation to the nations. Because the redemptive plan of God is for the sake of the nations. The, the vocation of Israel for, is for the sake of the nations. The vocation of Jesus is for the sake of the nations. You tracking with me, right? Now, next, the great commission is, guess what? For the sake of the nations. Look with me, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, the famous words of Jesus, the final word that Matthew records as the disciples come to him and he gives them this commission. Matthew 28 Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Right, the little, the little Greek phrase there, panta ta ethne, of all nations, of all ethnicities. It's right here in the heart of the Great Commission, over the course of the last couple of years, you've heard many times people on this stage, many times directly from me, talk about our vision, that God is calling us, the people of Irving Bible Church, to become a multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. I'll let you in on a little secret. That's not particularly original to us. It is essentially just a paraphrase of the great commission of Jesus. Sometimes people ask me, why do you put becoming a more fully multi-ethnic church right there in the heart of your vision. Because it's right here in the heart of the vision of Jesus to go and make disciples, panta ta ethne, of all nations. The great commission of Jesus. It's for the sake of the nations. Fifth, the church that's born on the day of Pentecost. Flip over to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, in Acts one, Jesus had said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Acts chapter two is the fulfillment of that, the outpouring of the Spirit, the birth of the church. And what we find is the church born on the day of Pentecost is 
for the sake of the nations. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse five. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, you think? <laughs> Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Luke tells us here that there were in Jerusalem on that Pentecost Sunday, God-fearing Jews from, he says, from every nation. Now, this is what we might call sort of divinely inspired hyperbole, right? There wasn't literally representative of each people group on earth, but what we have here is the recognition that the church that's born on day one is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse congregation. That if we map out all of these 15 distinct sociolinguistic groups that Luke identifies, what you find is the church born on the day of Pentecost is made up of Africans, Asians, and Europeans. 15 different groups that Luke goes out of his way to draw attention to, to show us this is the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan to create one new multi-ethnic humanity for the sake of the nations. It's actually what you see then Paul talk about in the book of Ephesians. Next stop on our tour is Ephesians chapter two. Flip over with me a few pages to Ephesians chapter two. Now this fledgling little church in Ephesus is a group of people that are struggling and they're struggling to figure out how they live together as one church despite their ethnic differences. This is a church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles and the problem at the heart of the book of Ephesians is how the Jews and Gentiles do church together. For a long time, I read Jew-Gentile distinction in the New Testament and, and just thought of it primarily as different religious backgrounds, different religious beliefs. But in fact, this idea of the Jews and the Gentiles is a profoundly ethnic distinction. And they're having to figure out how do we live together? How do we do church together despite our differences? And Paul is writing to address that, and, and his instruction isn't, well, you could just have different congregations on different sides of town. He says, no, to do that would actually miss what God is up to in the cross itself. This is what Paul writes, Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 14. For he, that is Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the two ethnic groups, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, his purpose, his purpose in the cross was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
It's certainly part of the point of the cross is understanding that God has made possible our reconciliation with him. First and foremost, to have peace with God. But then Paul says here, part of the purpose of the cross is to make possible our reconciliation one with another across deep lines of division that have existed for so long to create in himself one new humanity. Hina, kainon, antipon. And that word kainon, that word for new, Paul in his day had two different words he could choose from, he could reach for, to communicate the concept of new. Right? One word was new as in new in a sequence. Right? That would be the latest and greatest, the, the new and improved. Right? What are we on, like iPhone 14 now? Um, right? It's the 14th, it's the new one, but new in a sequence. But the other word, this word that Paul chooses, kainon, It's not new in a sequence. It's new as in like the world has never seen before. It's new as in we don't have any any frame of reference for this. This is something brand new. And Paul says that was his purpose to create in himself one new multi-ethnic humanity. You see, in the ancient world, your religion and your ethnicity were inherently bound up together. Greek people worship Greek gods. Roman people worship Roman gods. Jewish people worship Jew. And and all of it, your your religion and your ethnicity were inherently bound up together. And it's only in the birth of the church that we see something new like the world has never seen before. And this is part of the purpose of the cross. One new multi-ethnic humanity Last stop on the tour. You ready? Revelation chapter seven, all the way at the end of the book. Genesis to Revelation in the space of, uh, what, 32 minutes? Um, Revelation chapter seven. In this chapter, we get a peek into heaven. John has this vision of the heavenly throne. And here's what he says that he sees. Revelation seven, beginning verse nine. After this, I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Here, the vision of heavenly worship is a people assembled, a great multitude from Every tribe, every people, every language, every nation. A beautiful, multi-ethnic congregation gathered around the throne, worshiping the Lamb. And I believe that for us to pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means at least in part that we pray that God, would our worship here look more and more like your worship there? This is the vision of how the story ends. And and you come all the way to the very last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And in Revelation 22, John paints this picture of the new creation, new heavens, new earth, the new Jerusalem that's come down out of heaven from God, the throne there in that city. And from the throne is a river 
the water of life. And, and on either side of the river, John says, is the tree of life. And I love the way he says it. He says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Don't you think the nations could use some healing? This is how the story ends. Precisely because it's how the story begins. The redemptive plan of God from the very beginning is for the sake of the nations. The, the vocation of Israel is for the sake of the nations. The vocation of Jesus is for the sake of the nations. The commission of Jesus is for the sake of the nations. The church born on the day of Pentecost is this beautiful multi-ethnic church for the sake of the nations. The purpose of the cross is to create one new humanity for the sake of the nations so that one day there might be assembled around the throne of God a vast multitude that no no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, language. This is the story of the Bible. Now, what does that mean for us? In the couple minutes we have left, the implications for us at Irving Bible Church from this big biblical story. The first is this. If God's heart is for the nations, so must ours be. If God's heart is for the nations, so must ours be. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, and there is a part for all of us to play in that. For some of us, our part to play might be to go. To, to go, to, to be willing to leave behind the comforts of home, to, to cross borders, to go and move toward the broken places and hurting people around the globe. And I know that through the years that sitting right here in this congregation, that God has placed a special call on some people to go. People like Mark and Susie, who decades ago sat on Finley Road in this congregation and God called them to go spend a career serving the people of Africa. People like Jason and Mandy, who God put a special call on their life from within this congregation to, to go and to, to help um, the church in Ireland to be strengthened, to be healthy, and to start new churches. People like Brady and Amber, who right here in this congregation were called by God to go to a difficult place in the Middle East to love on street kids. That right here from in this congregation, that, that God called Bonnie to go to Southeast Asia to be a, a, a teacher to point people to Jesus. That God called Damon to, to say, I've got some resources that can help to make a difference, to provide food sustainability for orphans around the world. That God has called people right out of this congregation, sitting in this room, singing these songs, hearing these sermons to go. And I don't know, there may be some of you that have been praying, God, is this what you have for us? Is this your call on our lives to go? And maybe you've even said, God, if that's true, if that's your call for us, just give us a sign. Can I just tell you, this sermon is your sign, <laughs> right? For some, the call is to go. For some of us, the, the call is to give. That maybe for us, that, 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 that going is just, it's not what God has for us. It's not for what God has for our family. Maybe for a time to, to go and to visit, to serve. But, but really, my primary contribution to this global vision of God is to give. That I can help make things happen. 
like what we saw in that video with Liberty, that I can help drill water wells to provide life-saving fresh water for people in Africa, that I can give to help support the work of my refuge house that does restorative aftercare for girls that have been rescued for sex trafficking, that, that I can give to help support missionaries that are in the field that are pointing people to Jesus, seeing lives transformed forever among the K people, for example, an unreached people group, that we have a gospel presence happening because of your faithful giving to the work of God around the world. Just this year, because of the, the faithfulness, the generosity of the people in this church, just from the purchase of those little uh, journals with the IBC logo on the front of them, we have sent over 700 Bibles to closed countries, countries that they don't allow missionaries in, but we sent Bibles to them because of you. Yes, this is, this is good. So for some of us, the part that we have to play is to give, to give generously. And then for all of us, the part I think we have to, to, pay, to play is to pray. Just to recognize that, um, that we can be praying for those missionaries and those organizations that we support around the world. I would really encourage you, if you haven't recently, to go to our website, to irvingbible.org slash serveglobal. And there you can read about all of our international partners. You can read the names of all the people that we support that are in the field right now. And just add those to your prayer list to be praying to align your heart with God's heart for the nations. If God's heart is for the nations, so must ours be. But second, if God's heart is for the nations, we must recognize they're here. We've talked a whole lot about this, that we find ourselves right now in one of the most ethnically diverse cities in the nation that the zip code that we're sitting in right now is primarily Asian, that the zip code just to our south is primarily Hispanic, that there's one zip code in the city of Irving that has more than double the national average of African-Americans, that, that we find ourselves in an incredibly ethnically, culturally diverse city. And I believe that, that God's call for us is to reflect the beautiful diversity of our city. And for us to fail to do that would be a failure. But what you have to know is that it is this passionate commitment to become a more fully multi-ethnic church born from this biblical vision, God's heart for the nations. Throughout our 60-year history, Irving Bible Church has been passionately committed to a global vision, to participating with God in his redemptive, transforming work around the globe. And that has been and will continue to be true because we believe that God is passionately committed, that this is the heart of God himself, that this is the story of the Bible, God's mission to rescue and renew his good but broken creation and to redeem for him himself one new multi-ethnic humanity made from every tribe, nation, people, and language. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good story, the story of the Bible, the story of your mission in the world, the story of your great love for the nations. And God, we thank you that, that we who are here have been swept up into that story. That even as we can look around this room, we can actually see the beauty of this one new humanity on display. 
And we celebrate that. We celebrate what you're doing in our midst, in our city, here at Irving Bible Church. And God, we pray that truly our hearts would be aligned with yours. Our vision would be aligned with yours. That we would share your heart, share your passionate commitment to the nations. And we thank you, God, that, uh, that at the heart of this great story, the climax is the person and work of Jesus. And that our great hope for that denouement, that new creation and the healing of the nations, that, that we can hold securely to that hope because of Jesus. And as we come now to prepare our hearts to receive communion, we just pause to do some self-examination to see if there's anything there in our lives that we need to bring to you before we come and partake of these elements. And so we pause now in silent reflection. And God, we thank you that we know that we can face ourselves before you, that we can name our sin before you, knowing that we're not met with shame, but we're met with grace. This grace that you lavish upon us in the Lord Jesus. And for that, we thank you. And we pray this prayer in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.